Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos, and I have a very special episode with a very special individual, a man who uh, convinced me to make a purchase from him and his brand, and he's going to hopefully make you feel the same way because I'm I'm a big supporter of of him, his uh, his brand, and uh, his watches, and that is David Brailsford from Garrick Watch. Hey, David, how are you? I'm all right, thanks, Josh. Hey, so um, so today. Uh, David's, uh, uh, he's in the UK, so across the pond, my second international guest, which is very exciting. Uh, last week, I did a, uh, I had a great conversation with uh, Nick Cargill from uh, Fears Watch, which is another really interesting yeah. brand, but very- Nick's a good brand. friend of mine, cracking guy, really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's a small, it's a small community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really, really cool. So this is, this is exciting for me. Um you know, we're, we're going to talk about my experience with you, your watches, and uh, kind of your experience in the watch world in general. So, Hopefully, by the end of the podcast, I'll have persuaded you to buy another one. So, <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm I'm already so close. We just oh, that's <laughs> before we started today. Yeah, we 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 were already we're just trying to figure out which one, and, and uh, we'll talk about that too. But um, before we get started, we're going to do our customary risk check. So, um, as always, the guest goes first. So, David. Um, I can guess what you have on the wrist, but why don't you go ahead and tell everybody? Yeah, so I'm wearing a Garrick S4 with an engine turn dial. It's kind of a Breguet style watch based on, it's, it's inspired by Daniels and, and Breguet watches. Um, with um, It's a modified unitask movement. We make the bridges. We engrave the barrel and crown wheel cover on the back uh, to give it more of a traditional look. Um, um, and it's, again, it's all done in-house, everything. It's, um, it's one of my favorite watches out of the collection. Yeah, it's tremendous. My friend uh, Jason Main, uh, he made that purchase when when I bought my Garrick. He purchased the S4. I, pur- I purchased the Norfolk, which is uh, no surprise what I'm wearing today. Yeah, green. So so Jason had the green dial one. Yeah, you've got the blue dial Norfolk. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, his his watch is tremendous. And and I thought about asking for a green uh, dial on my Norfolk, but the blue dial. That I have, it's uh, what I call. Well, Florida. to be honest, I'm not a fan of green dial watches, and when he ordered it, I was a bit. <laughs> no, I honestly didn't think it. I didn't know how it was going to look, uh, but it turned out absolutely stunning, and it really oh, yeah. worked. It, but it, it's because it's a contrast. You've got the the steel chapter ring, brushed steel chapter ring, and the green. It just works well. Um, but I, I was a bit dubious, um, but it was a damn good choice, and and we put it out on social media, and everybody's loving it absolutely. He's already been propositioned to sell it. Oh, really? He's not going to. I told him to hold on to it, but uh, but yeah, no, it's his watch is tremendous. He's got he's he's a green dial guy. Um, well, you both waited long enough. It was what six months. Yeah, about. But I, listen, it, you know what? Things. Uh, uh, it was certainly worth the wait. I would say that. If only everybody um, was so patient, Josh. <laughs> listen, I mean, if you're you you want something handmade and done right, you know, there's no rush. Absolutely. There's no rush. I'm, I'm happy to take the time, pun intended. Oh, it's cracking um, watch, yeah. Absolutely. And that, don't forget, that's the last Norfolk there, all no more. I've been telling people that, so now we have it on no, camera, fact. so that's the last it's one. It's a fact, that is the last one, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes it even more special. So if this watch is ever trading at the at the FP Journe CB levels, I'll still keep yeah, it. Yeah, so that's, that's number 10,000. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Number this is this is the tenth number forty you've made. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> like it, it, yeah, it is about forty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, so yeah. So here we're we're gonna talk about well your watch brand, but not only that, I want to talk about kind of your experience in the watch industry, 
Um, you know, one thing that I thought was really special and in, in what made this purchase for me so special is that when I placed the order on the website, um, the next day I got a message from you and asking when I had time to chat on the phone, uh, which for me and me being in this industry, you know, talking to people, getting to know people is is really, really important. And the fact that you took the time and I think it was like we had a like an hour and a half conversation, me, you and yeah, Jason. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I do that with every single customer. So we, it's just the way I, whenever I started the company, when I first started it, it was the one thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure I'm in touch with every single customer. Don't get me wrong, we've got staff that can deal with things, but it's, um, I just feel that personal touch matters. And, and not only that, if you've got delays or you've got any issues, if, if it's you yourself that are telling the client, then they're more likely to believe you and it avoids any problems going forward. But it's, you know, we've got good relationships with most of our clients like yourself and we become friends. We chat after the watch has been delivered. We contact each other on WhatsApp and share images of the collection. It's uh, it's that kind of relationship with our clients. It's not just buy the watch and you never hear from us again. Um, most of them, like I say, a good 90% of clients will become good friends with, um, and that's the way it should be, in my opinion. Not everybody can do that, obviously. Um, some people are selling a lot more watches than us, and it just wouldn't be viable for them to do that. But it, I wouldn't have it any other way. The only problem is with that, it does get a little bit stressful um, when you've got when you're late with a, with the odd watch and you've got numerous customers contacting you. But the thing is, it's you know that's the nature of the game. You, you, we're hand making parts and we're doing it in really tiny little batches. And so, you know, we always try to stick to time limits, but it's it's impossible sometimes. And the other issue we've had recently as well is obviously COVID. So. Um, Every time somebody gets it, we've got a lockdown. Our, our manager's been off now for two weeks, and, and Esme, oh. she does the finishing, the QC, and it's a, it's a bloody nightmare. But luckily, it all ends in at the end of February, um, you know, so that's one good thing. But the personal touch is just something I've always done, and, it, and it'll never change, really. It'll never change. Well, I think that's really important. I think a lot of Swiss brands, that's not the case, right? Like, it's a Absolutely. different mentality. Um, from the Swiss and, and not saying it's better or worse. Well, it's personal preference, right? But, you know, uh, I mean, you can read, especially these days when demand is so high across the board for all these brands, um, you know, uh, customers walking into boutiques and asking for certain Jorns or sorry, certain certain brands <laughs> that, are in, <laughs> that are in high demand and having a negative experience. Again. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh but, you know, it's, so it's 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 interesting, you know, because, well, I think you told me you guys make about 70 watches a year. Is that oh, yeah, about right? We do it a little bit different. So it's a bit easier for me. The the main reason being, obviously, a lot of brands are mass producing or, or, or doing live spot. They can't actually do this. But the, the thing is with us, because most of our watches are bespoke, it's very rare somebody orders an off-the-peg watch. There's always something that needs changing. Virtually every single watch is different. Um, we're building it from scratch, don't forget, so we can change the plating, the dial colour, colour of the hands. There's so many things we can do. This is why I, I always make sure I talk to somebody first. Uh, it's just the best way of dealing with it because then... I can put any fears out the head. I can discuss all the options rather than going back and forth on an email for weeks and weeks, which which has happened in the past. It's easy just to have a conversation, get it all out in the air, and then you know say what's possible, what isn't, and that's how we do it. But you know, we we literally like to make bespoke watches, so the, the, it, we, nothing's too much for us. The only issue you get sometimes is you get some clients who literally want to change it then change it again then change it again then check once you give somebody that option it, it becomes like addictive 
And so even if you settle on something two weeks later, you can guarantee that they'll come and say, oh, any chance I can change that? But sometimes I have to rein them in a little bit and just say, look, you're going to make it into a watch you didn't love in the first place. It's, and, and then they always, nine times out of ten, come back and say, absolutely, that's right. I think subtle changes are better than anything else. So, um, But that's why I like to talk to people. And I like to get to know people. Um, you know, it's it's a good way of, of going forward. It's Nothing will change. That's the way I want to run the business um, for years to come. Great. So, well, then let's start at the beginning. So when did Garrett come to be? And then how did you think of the idea of doing this? And and then even farther back, like, how did you get into so I the used to work. So I, I've had various businesses in the past. And um, I kind of, what got me into watches, I, I always liked watches, even as a youngster. I always want, I tell you what, I always wanted when I was young and I was obsessed with watches. And I saw a, a Rolex GMT on the, on an uncle of mine's wrist, and I, and I just loved it. I always wanted. I was obsessed with getting that watch, and uh, I remember it was the first watch I ever bought. It was a bimetal GMT Master, and I, and I never took it off my wrist. I wore it for gardening, for painting, for building, you name it. It was absolutely battered um, on my wrist. I never took it off. I wore that for years and years, and I went, and then I ran a mobile phone business uh, when mobile phones became really hot. Um, then I, and I, I always had a um, a passion for antiques and, and art and things like that. So I got into the antiques um, industry uh, for some years. And then from there, I started collecting vintage watches. I used to come across quite a few vintage watches. And believe me, at times when Rolexes were cheap, the stuff I used to pick up was unbelievable. Daytona's at two and three thousand pounds. And, you know, um, unbelievable. Yeah, early 6263s and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, early subs, I was getting picking up next to nothing. If only I knew um, at the time. And so I used to do a bit of trading and then um, I started a, from there on, I started a, a VIP watch finder service and I would start contacting a lot of the independents. Um, and that's how I got to know a lot of the independents. Friends of mine like Andreas Strayler and, and other guys, um, and I, I got to know brands like Zeitwinkel, other friend of mine. Um, and then from there on, I was doing a bit of consultancy work. So I'd worked in the industry for quite some years and, and there was there's quite a famous British watchmaker called Peter Roberts, who, who's, uh, I mean, he's trained many people. So my partner, Simon Mickleman, I was trained by Peter Roberts, um, Peter Speak, Marin, uh, Stephen Forsey, to name two others. There's, there's quite a few guys and he's a really nice guy. He also worked at development at Bremont, did the Martin Baker and numerous other things. And we became quite good friends stemming from the fact that he launched a watch and and it was it, so in fact there's a, i'll tell you the story quickly there's a bit of a story behind peter robert some years ago when he when he was doing his wasp course many many moons ago when he was a youngster everybody has to do like a um, a project watch at the end of the course so he he did a watch with five hands and he put the concept down on paper at the time nobody had done it, it was just a picture in a book and the guy on the who was running the course at the time said look there's you can't do a watch with five hands. It's, the concept's there, but no one's ever actually done it. it. Everybody's done it since, but at the time, it was five hands from the centre, by the way. And um, and so he actually built this watch, and he's still got it to this day. It's a beauty. Everybody who's ever seen it wants it. It's cobbled together out of, like, Rolex parts, and, and it's got the Wastep dial on it. It's got the five hands in the centre, and he called it the Concentrique. Well, he was always asked to sell it. He never would. And um, when he finished at Bremont, he basically decided to do um, about 20 pieces. Um, so he relaunched it using an old Valju, I think it was a Valju 81 movement, all refinished. And then he did this five-hand watch um, called the Concentrique. And 
And, he, and when he first launched it, I actually contacted him at the time. I said, Peter, no offense, but I think you might need a little bit of help with your marketing. Uh, <laughs> don't get offended. And strangely, I thought I'd never hear from him again. And, and, and funnily enough, he emailed me straight back and said, Dave, because you're a breath of fresh air, just the man I've been waiting for. He goes, please give me a ring and, and we'll have a chat. So I, I rang him up. We became really friendly. Um, I helped him kind of launch the brand. I was getting in touch with all the press at the time and all the bloggers and stuff to help him promote it. And then I was on a stand with him at Selling QP. And this is how Garrick kind of came about. Uh, I was with him on his stand at Selling QP. And then um, my partner, Simon, approached me. He was on another stand with his brand. And he said, Dave, I'd like you to join me. I want to launch a British brand. I want to do it all in-house. And I kind of said no at first, knowing the many pitfalls and that you need uh, bottomless pockets, obviously. Um, I just said no. And then I thought about it, kept coming into my head and I couldn't get it out of my head for about six months. And then in the end, I went back to him. I mean, he was bugging me at the time as well. It was nonstop bugging me. And then, uh, and I went back to him and I just said, listen, I said, I'll think I'll give it a go. So I put the money into the business. We invested in new machinery. Um, Simon already had an existing workshop. We expanded that. And and we spent the first year, this was in 2013, under development, just uh, kind of prototyping and doing bits and bobs. And then we launched in, realistically, it was 2014 when we came up with the first concept. Um, and it all kind of stemmed from there. And then we've just been, over the years, we've just been honing our skills and just pumping everything back into the business. So I've literally lived the life of a pauper for many years. <laughs> uh, the chance of getting my investment back went long ago. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, kind of give up hope on that. But um, but we're in a really good place at the moment. And this is the thing. So we, we did the first watch, which was the Shaftesbury. Then we did the Hoxton. And then some years later, I think it was 2015, 2016, um, we did the Norfolk and um, and then the Norfolk, which is the one that's on your wrist, obviously, was inspired. I've got a mass. I'm a massive fan of everything nautical. So we've spoke about this before, Josh. I, I, I'm a massive Nelson fan. I've got a full size fi uh, ship's figurehead in my living room. That's how obsessed I am. Um, numerous models of um, like HMS Victory, all um hand-built models all over the house and uh, pictures of the got a Royal, Royal Academy picture of the Battle of Trafalgar on my wall upstairs so stuff like that I've always been inspired by nautical things and with the Norfolk I was I've always had this fascination with you know you go into a boiler room in an old ship and things like that and you see them big white dialed um, pressure gauges and things and that's where the inspiration for the Norfolk came from so you, you always have the large maker's nameplate on the white enamel dial and that's kind of how the Norfolk came about so it was all inspired by my passion for everything nautical well that's that's definitely what I see when I look at this watch and it's funny because I'm <clears throat> I think you and I talked about it I'm not well so I love the ocean I live in South Florida um, grew up fishing a lot so for my love of the ocean is is really a love of fishing and <clears throat> that's one thing that that this watch reminds me of is being on the ocean you know I uh somewhat sentimental. My, my grandfather, who I never met, he had died when my father was a, was in his early twenties, was, uh, an obsessed fisherman to the point where he would skip like funerals and weddings to go fishing oh, really? on the weekend. There's no, it's a non-negotiable. So I have one of his, uh, I have one of his fishing poles that he had made in the 1970s that I use fishing now and trying to catch, you know, catch, you know, wild fish and whatnot. Um, the crazy, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. fish and whatnot with that. So, you know, having it, it so in terms of the ocean and nautical themes, like 
that's something that I'm definitely into. And I feel I definitely got Well, I've always found with business, if you're passionate about something, it means you're going to put more effort into it. It genuinely works. And the point is the Norfolk was quite a good, a big hit for us. It kind of put us on the map because it was unique as a watch. There was nothing else like it and it it worked. But, you know, back to this thing about the brand, it's, it's been a, it's been a slow process with us because we've tried to do as much as we can in-house. It's not always possible. If we couldn't do it in-house, we've used local craftsmen or local engineering firms. That's how we've always done it. Um, you know, and it's been, a, a, like I say, a really, really slow process because we've just been honing our skills over the years. And, you know, it's... Uh, and, and anyone will tell you runs a watch brand. It, it's it's you don't just launch it and it's and it hits the big time. Uh, some brands it works for, and there's quite a few I could name. You know, I work in the industry. There's quite a few I've worked with, and it's happened. But they're few and far between. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of watch brands, and there's literally hundreds starting up every year on Kickstarter and everything else. And um, it depends how you do it, the 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 funding, and and whether you just happen to hit the nail on the head. And so. You know, it's been a slow process with us, but we've want, we've never changed. We've 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 never been tempted to go down the mass-produced route, and you know that's the difference between us and anyone else. It's you know it's, we could have done, we could have improved things dramatically and churned watches out if we'd have done that, but it's just it didn't sit right with us. So we've just bided a time, and it, and like I say, it's been a long, long process. Um, and it hasn't, and it's been painful. Don't get me wrong; it's been extremely. It really has. Um, if it wasn't for my passion for drinking, God knows whether I'd still be in business. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you uh, skipping the bar tonight, then to or the pub tonight to, well, no, to speak with you. I, I'm a massive real ale drinker. If you if, if you don't live in the UK, real ale's bitter. Um, I, I'm a massive bitter fan, and it's like craft beers and all that kind of thing. So um, I go to. Um, beer festivals i go traveling to different pubs i like oh i love old-fashioned pubs and they're disappearing at the moment um they're literally all turning into kind of gastro pubs and things and uh, i like to go in an old pub that's got carpets that are 30 year old and uh, honestly and nicotine stained ceilings um, and all that kind of stuff to me it's just nothing beats that and that's what i love with a decent pint of bit but you honestly they're all few and far between but there's nothing makes me more happier. I was talking to you earlier. I like um, just changing the subject. So the way I chill out at night when I'm a bit stressed, I I, I love my mixed martial arts. Um, massive UFC fan, the same as yourself. And uh, yeah. I like a whiskey or or a real ale, and and I like to go to the pub at the weekend. Um, you know, it's just it's that's how I chill out. And believe me, when you're running a brand like this, you need to chill out. We. You know, it's it's about the thing about running the brand. We I'm, sometimes I'm on WhatsApp till one two a.m. in the morning. Um, customers WhatsApping me nonstop, uh, emails all night long, Skypes and Zooms throughout the day. So it's never ending, and uh, it's got its good points and it's got its bad points. You know, it can become stressful, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I absolutely love it, and and you meet people like yourself. It's just the people you meet, and um, you know, we've been doing this thing. A lot of people kind of embrace Zoom and Skype during lockdown a lot of businesses did but you know this is how we've done business for years and years at garrick um you know we've always had chats with clients we've always contacted them over skype or zoom and uh, it, nothing's changed for us in that respect at all nothing well, that's tremendous so so you said you started with 2014 was the first yeah, steps towards we, we, we went into business 2014 we we started with the first watch we we're prototyping for a year um, you know, and, and I had a, a, it was kind of a learning curve because the, the watch industry at that time, nobody shared information at all. Absolutely nobody. I remember 
there's, I mean, there's numerous things we can cover, but I, I run a thing called the Watchmakers Club, as you probably know, and there's quite a few independent brands in that. Um, and I put on events, and, and when I started the Watchmakers Club, everyone was saying to me, you'll never get these brands working together, because I've got a bit of a concept with the Watchmakers Club, as we'll probably discuss, and, and, and I managed to do it. Well, it was at the time when I started my brand, no brands were communicating. There was nobody you could go to for advice. Everything was a learning curve. I mean, absolutely everything. So unless you wanted to buy your dials off the peg, your cases and everything else, then you had to learn from scratch. And so that's why everything took so long. Um, you know, we were... Even back back then, we weren't pad printing dials. We were we were making dials and we were engraving the dial. The Shaftesbury was a was a watch with a engraved chaptering on the dial, and then it had a it had a, a, a like a, a laser engraved markings going around the outer edge, and then it had a an applied laser cut chaptering that was mounted with screws. So similar to what we're doing now, but it was all all that handmade kind of feel. Um, and that's what we were doing with our watches. We weren't just doing flat dials uh, with pad printing. You know, we were we were making parts and, and assembling and putting things together. That's how we always did it. But we've refined a lot now. At that time, the finishing was virtually non-existent back in 2014. But people loved the handmade nature of the watches. I look back now and I'm quite embarrassed, frankly. <laughs> but, um, but you know, we've we've never had a customer who wasn't happy with a watch that we've sold. And, 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 and I'm good friends with a, a legendary watchmaker called Andre Estrella. Uh, he's a really, really good friend, man. We talk all the time. And um, Andreas always said to me, look, Dave, build watches to the best of your ability. Um, it's as simple as that. Don't get hung up and stuck on um, macros and things like that. He said, um, you have to build them as good as you can build them. He said, and, and that's all you can do. And it was good advice. It sounds really simple, but you really do get hung up on certain things. And you do have to be a little bit careful nowadays. So, Right. It allows you to create your own focus. And I think that's that's really important. I mean, it... And again, you know, it, it shows in your product for sure. Um, so I, I think when, when I first spoke to you, uh, you mentioned that you do have another business in the watch industry in terms of like a repair center or something along, along those lines. Yeah, so so our place, it's, it's a bit unique. So we've got four workshops. Well, we've got three. We're building a fourth one at the moment. So it's like a unit and we've got, we're part of another business. So we've got a um, clock workshop doing tower clocks, grandfather clocks, mantle clocks, all that kind of stuff, servicing. Then we've got another uh, workshop, which is a service center. Um, and then we've got the Garrick workshop, which is now being extended. And we're building a second one at the moment. We're, and we're, we're going up the floor um, where, we, where we've got all, most of the machinery and the lathes and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's three, fourth workshop being built at the moment. Yeah. So different arms to the business. Which, mm, which actually brings me to most people ask, how can you survive building 70 watches per year? Um, but <laughs> it's a it's the larger picture in reality. And, and a lot of our watches as well are bespoke. So we build a lot of bespoke pieces, that crazy money um, that take like a, a year to build. So, you know, it, and oh. there's there's no, um, honestly, there's no lie about that. We, we were literally, it was lucky if we could ever build 50 watches per year, really. Well, that's amazing. So, well... Well then, the next question that comes to mind is, what's the most expensive watch you've ever built? Um, we've done a, we've done two or three for Asian clients that were eighty, ninety k. Um, with with, um, I can't. Funnily enough, 
it, we, we have some clients that like us to share a lot of information. They don't mind us putting images. We have some that won't allow us to share anything. Um, we did one recently. We did a tribute watch for, for a client, and they will not allow us to put any images. It's a stunner, and I really want to share images. You just won't let me share any mm. images. I don't know why. But, no, we've built some really cracking watches with some really cool movement modifications, um, you know, deadbeat seconds and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, wow. some some cracking stuff, um, and, and you know, with gold cases, obviously precious metal cases. But believe it or not, ninety nine percent of our watches are steel cases. The, even the high end collectors just like the steel cases. Um, we don't do that many in precious metal. I, I mean, uh, it's funny. So, like most of my watches are, are steel, and I and I've been thinking about that in terms of collectability, long term, whatnot. I think it's just the wearability of a steel watch, regardless yeah. of the. Of the movement, the movement can be in rose gold, but the, if the watch is in steel, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's a very different, it, it's, it, that watch can be refinished multiple times by the Absolutely. right, by the right guy. It's going to hold up better and it's going to be more wearable. Yeah. I always liked them. I, I don't, well, I've got, I mean, I've got big watch collection. I've got a precious metal watch in the entire collection. I just, it appeals mm-hmm. to me, but obviously it's not what I like as the owner of the brand. You can't do everything. You've got to appeal to all this kind sure. of thing. So, uh, but no, it's, um, you know, we, we've, we've built some crazy watches, um, really. And, and and we're about to launch the S5, which is another cool watch. So, so is that so? The, yeah. So the S5, uh, most of your watches are modified Swiss movements, right? Or is that no, all of your no, watches? So far, the, so we have a so the we have a Unitas in the which is a cracking movement, by the way, in the Norfolk. Yeah, we great. have the, in the S4 we have a modified Unitas heavily, so we make the bridges and the, there's various things, the balance cock, the skeleton eyes, the we we make the Swanet regulator that goes on that. We don't buy that off the shelf. Um, it's got, the S4's got an engraved barrel and crown wheel cover, which is the two gear, winding gears you see on the back of the movement. Um, we do all that, so it's heavily modified. The S2 is an in-house caliber. Um, with the balance wheel on the front. And then the S5 is a new exclusive Garrett caliber, which is just about to be launched now. So there's a bit of a story behind the S5, actually. It's worth it's worth saying. So we have, as you know, we have quite a good following on Instagram and a lot of collectors' followers. When we did the original post for the S5, it was last year sometime. And the, all I did, I mean, nobody can see this, but I'll show you, Josh. So we came okay. up with a concept for the S5. So all the Asian clients for years and years have been wanting a smaller size um, watch, but obviously it's the movement that dictates the size. The the Unitas is what you call six. Not always so obvious. Yeah, well, the well, well, I know no, a lot of people don't realize. So this, the the Unitas is a sixteen line movement, which is forty two mil case. You can get you can go away with a forty one, but forty two is is the norm with the, with the Unitas. Everybody's been begging it for years to come up with a smaller watch. So we we put a lot of investment into this new movement to the S five. Um, we we came up with a concept of doing something similar to the S4 because it's such a cracking looking watch with the engine turn dial um, in a smaller case. And so we just what we did was we 3D printed this plastic case, which you can see here, it's just uh-huh. orange plastic, nothing more than that. We put the image yeah. out on um, on Instagram just to say, oh, coming soon. Um, S5, this is the concept, um, and you would not believe it. It went absolutely crazy, and we were bombarded for two days solid with client after client after time, nonstop. It was nonstop saying, can you please sell us this watch? And I was like, yeah, obviously, when we've actually finished designing it, it's just a concept, and that's the case. Um, but believe it or not, I've never been in this position before. It's crazy. And some of the brands that I deal with have never been in a position like this. I mean, we literally sold the first batch of watches without anybody seeing the watch. So we didn't even have a render or an image of a watch. Uh, we just had the plastic yeah. case. And uh, 
all the Asian clients because they wanted it for the smaller risk, obviously. And the, the, the you know some of them we'd known for a long time that were and, and were well known to us. They came so, listen, we want to put a deposit down. I said, look, you, you can't put a deposit down. It doesn't exist. It's just a <laughs> plastic case for God's sake. And what uh, the insistence. You don't even know how much you're going to charge for Well, it. I know. So well, we already knew the concept because we knew what the movement was going to cost and the kind of investment we needed and everything else. So it's not it's never easy launching a new watch. You know, there's a lot of money involved. We're only a small brand. So, you know, it, it helps us out. I said, look, we're, we're going to do it similar to the S4. We might have a render ready in the next two to three weeks. But if you want to put the deposit down, because, as you know, we've got a massive waiting list and it's a bit of a nightmare. If you want to put the deposit down, you can put a deposit down on the first 10 pieces and uh, literally they all sold within a day. It was crazy without even showing a single image. Um, it just sounds utterly ridiculous. It was ridiculous to me. And then literally, you can imagine as we were designing it and coming up with a concept, I was thinking, oh, my God, I hope everybody likes it. And then literally we sent images out two weeks later and everybody said, love it. Um, just what we thought. Uh, fantastic. We'll have it. And then so. Then we, we just put a password protected page up on the website and gave certain collectors access. And then we sold the second batch. Um, it's just crazy. but it, And it sounds ridiculous, but it's good for a brand like us because it, sometimes we, because we sell in such small quantities, we rely on kind of, we haven't got investors on board. We've got no loans or anything else and things like that kind of fund future projects. So it, it helped us out, but it was just crazy for me to comprehend i know kickstarter brands do it that way and they'll sell watches on a render but we didn't even have a render for god's sake josh yeah. <laughs> it's mad that's 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 so wild well so that's i mean from a business standpoint you know i've i've been saying this for years now but you know social media has changed Absolutely. the game especially Absolutely. for like for the watchmakers right so you know it, the the larger brands the swatch groups respawns and whatnot they haven't really benefited from it. I mean, maybe well, a bit, but not the way that. And everybody else had been there, seen it, and done it. And that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's oh, I find new brands every day, and I'll message them. Hey, how much is your watch? Sorry, nothing for sale. Sorry, we, we, it, we're all sold out forever. I mean, <laughs> you know? the, the thing is with us, social media, we sell all our watches on social media. There's no ifs or buts. We, we don't advertise. We never advertise. It's something we just don't do. Well, that's that. you know, that's a great uh, entryway or segue into – how I found you in, the, in that story. So I don't think I've ever uh, I've ever mentioned this on the on the podcast, but I think it's pretty kind of interesting. So one night um, on a Friday night, uh, as I tend to do on Friday nights, um, I was enjoying a little bit of uh, herbal refreshment, um, which get, which gets my which gets my creativity flowing. And I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm texting with another friend of mine um, who uh, will be purchasing a watch from you soon. Him and I are talking about. Uh, which one he wants to purchase, but he's he's a big watch guy out in uh, in on the west coast of the United States. So I forward him a post because I see all of a sudden I see a Garrick watch, uh, the S four shows up on my on my uh, in my feed, and I think it was like a like a, a red or like a purplish. Oh yeah, that was um, the PPA watch. Yeah, uh, yeah, S four, but yeah, the the Gordas. Oh yeah, right? stunning, absolutely stunning. Sorry. I mean, it was, and especially in the state that I was in, I was like, oh, wow, this is gorgeous, right? So I send it over to him and I go, have you seen this before? And his reply was, yeah, can you, and so he's he's big in all these brands. Like he told me about Helios, which is a small brand of yeah, a watch yeah. that I uh, I own one of their, their watches out of Canada. So like all these little boutique brands, he always knows about them all. So I send it over to him and he goes, yeah, can you believe how cheap this watch is? And, I, and he says that and now it's like, oh. So I go to their website, go to your website and I see, and I'm looking at these prices and I'm like, what? Like- this doesn't make sense. I assumed it was like a forty or fifty thousand dollars watch. Yeah, we've been criticised because of the low price. <laughs> no, no, listen, you make your your decisions. But so 
I, I see that. So the next thing I do, whenever I find out about a new watch, um, especially in this type of scenario, and, and I want to know about the brand, there's one guy I go to. He's a friend of mine. I have his cell phone number, so it's very helpful. I don't know how how he feels about me always asking about these things, but he always replies, and that's my friend, yeah, Tim Mosco. Yeah, yeah. So um, I send him a link to your website, and I say, hey, have you ever heard of this brand before? What do you think? So about 15 minutes later, I guess he finds he, his phone was set off or whatever, uh, set off to the side. So he finds it, and he sees it. And he replies back. He, he replies back with a link to YouTube, an unpublished YouTube. Oh, yeah. 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 Just so go, the podcast. <laughs> exactly. So he had recorded a yeah. podcast with you hours yeah, before this. Was. It was just a wild yeah. coincidence. And he says, he goes, yeah, I love the brand. I just recorded a podcast with their CEO. So I immediately listen and I get about three quarters way through the podcast. And this is, again, this is how I make my purchases. I, I, I'm the kind of guy that like, if, if I find something I need to buy, like, I feel like I got to buy it before somebody else does. Like uh, it's going to, yeah. it's going to run out. So I don't even finish listening to the podcast before I go to your website and I, and I'm texting by this time I have my friend Jason involved as well. And we're going back and forth. We're texting. So within an hour or two of me forwarding the, the, the post to my friend who lives on the West coast and him telling me how cheap it was. And then me texting tip, I placed my order for the Norfolk, uh, uh, Jason places his for the S4, and then the next day I'm on the phone. Yeah, yeah that was so, we had, yeah, like, yeah, like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. The next day, so that that was my experience. I mean, it, it just it, it's funny how it all worked out. But yeah, literally, uh, Tim had recorded uh, uh, his interview, which is by the way, guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't listen to Tim's, you're making a big mistake. Tim's podcast is far and away better than mine. I mean, it, it's oh tremendous. He, I mean, it, oh no, by far, by far. So, but he, ha, he did an interview with you, David, back, I guess it was back in July or, or, or in, in the summer last year in 2021. And that's what convinced me. With that, with that. Yeah. He, he did it on, um, so we recorded it on uh, Zoom, if I remember rightly. Uh, and I didn't know he was filming me. So as you probably noticed now, I'm just kind of swinging around in my chair all casually. I was doing that all the way through the interview. Little did I know he was going to put the video out on YouTube, for God's sake. Right. <laughs> Afterwards, I thought, oh, funny. my God. <laughs> yeah. No, no video here, guys. Yeah, well, uh, but, but no, it was brilliant. He's a massive fan. And uh, yeah, say you and Jason, but Jason had the green dial um, S4, you had the, had the Norfolk. And, and back, back to this S4 thing, because it's just worth mentioning this. When we came up with the concept of the S4, because obviously, you know yourself, proper engine turned dials done on a rose engine, are always an expensive watches. Um, we, we, it's something we always wanted to do from day one. We we're never in a position to do it. Um, and when we finally were, we tried everything. I had a price set in my mind, and I wanted to bring the S4 in at a certain budget. And I wanted to bring it in at like 5, 6K. And, and no matter how much we tried, it took nine months to develop this watch. And no matter how much we tried, we could not get it under 10K at all. Um, it's just, it's it's the time it takes to build the dials and everything else. Every aspect of that watch, it's, you know, it's a... Uh, time-consuming process. You have to engine turn the dial. You have to make the dial blanks, put the feet on the dial blanks, finish the dial, plate it, um, screw the chapter ring on. And believe it or not, even the chapter ring on the S4 is, so we don't pad print it. It's infilled with Indian ink with a syringe. You have to go through every single number with a syringe, then you spin it off and drain it, which takes the excess off. It's so time-consuming. We managed to do it in the end. We made compromises. You won't think so looking at the watch. It's But when we actually launched the watch and we managed to bring it in on price our margins are so low and i mean extremely low um we got criticized when we launched it a lot of brands contacted say, why have you done it so cheap um so it utterly ridiculous but the thing is i've just got this this it's the way i run the brand i i 
some people think it's ridiculous. I'm a, you know, I'm a businessman. I should be, it should be about profits, but it isn't, frankly, and it isn't. I don't feel comfortable if I, if I know, like some brands have got 60% in a watch, the retailer takes 60 or 40 or whatever. Um, I haven't got that. We can't sell through retail. We don't have those kind of margins at all. It's impossible for us. And, and we could have, yeah, absolutely. But I don't feel comfortable with it, frankly. It, it just it doesn't sit well with me. Uh, if, if I think I'm selling a watch to somebody and it really only cost me 20% of the retail price, honestly, I, I, just like I say, it's, it's not good for me. So, so we put small profits on our watches. I know, but the most brands do that. We, well, how else are you going to pay for your yacht? I mean, come oh, on. The, yeah, the Garrett yacht. Oh, all I can afford at the moment is a bloody um, canoe. <laughs> The Garrett canoe. Yeah, that's, that's, there's no chance of that. But you know, we're, we're it, it makes us feel good, and, and I'm happy with that, frankly. Uh, you know, we've got more expensive watches, and we've got a half decent profit in them. But it just, you know, and and you know, maybe we do need to improve our prices a little bit and and sh and put them up a little bit. But it's just like I say, it, I, I don't feel comfortable with it, frankly. And and, um, and and I'm happy with the way things are. We've got other arms to the business, so we. You know, one subsidizes the other, and it, and it works for us. I, I just, you imagine. I mean, you know what our waiting is like at the moment. Our waiting lists a year on some watches. It's six months on an S4. It's the Norfolk's now finished. It's nine months on a on an S2, and it's going up week by week. It's, you know, we we could realistically, with the waiting list that we've got, we could put our prices up crazy. It's like the S5. We could sell it for whatever we want to sell it for, but we just we just don't. Um, we we try to keep our prices down as low as we can possibly do. Uh, even collectors, and funnily enough, even you put a collector my way a few weeks back uh, who bought a watch, and he, even he said you need to put your prices up. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he's he owns a uh, like a, a, a essentially like a VC yeah. fund, so he understands the business side of things. But yeah, well, he's a just, big collector. I need to change my mindset, Josh. I really do. But I'm one of those guys. I don't need a lot. I I, I was successful for many years, and uh, I'm kind of I'm 55 now. But I know I only look 30. My youthful looks. It's because my body's pickled from drinking beer. Uh, years and years and years. <laughs> if I actually stop drinking now, I'll age 20 years in a minute. Uh, <laughs> that's how bad it is. <laughs> But, um, but no, I don't really need a lot, and, and so I don't lead an extravagant life. And I'm happy, you know. Like I say, you've got certain things that make you happy, like fishing and all that kind of stuff. I'm happy going down to the pub, having a drink with my friends, having a bit of a cracker. I like sticking a film on at night, and I don't really need to do anything else. Um, you know, I've travelled the world in the past, so you know, I'm quite content really. And uh, I like the way we're running the brand. It kind of works for us, and it makes me feel happy that I'm doing it that way because you know we. Clients are happy clients, all of them. Um, I think, and, and I'll be brutally honest about this because nobody likes to admit it, but I think in eight years I've given one refund in eight years, um, and that's it. That's all we've ever done. Somebody wanted their money. Yeah, back. I know. It's, uh, I, I nearly had a heart attack. Um, but no, it was yeah, absolutely one refund in eight years. I think it's good for any brand, really. Um, you know, that's a good track record. And, yeah, tremendous. and you don't really see our watches come up for sale, so that's another. Well, I found, yeah, when I was looking online, I found one Norfolk that it, that I, it was the only listing I could find. It was in from 2019, oh, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. It was a white dial. And I think he sold it for a retailer below, which and nowadays. Yeah, so, so I know he's got that rich. guy in Australia, Roman. He, he does a podcast, actually. Um, he, he's actually got that watch. Yeah, and he's kept it ever since. Um, 
Oh, he got his hands on us. So maybe yeah. he's <laughs> out. You don't, you don't actually see him, and, that, and that's the thing. So, uh, you know, no. like I say, I'm happy. I'm content with everything. And, uh, you know, back to this pricing structure, you know, it, 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 obviously it's, we're running a business and it is about uh, making money. Of course it is. But, uh, like I say, huge profit margins don't sit below me. Back to this retailer thing. So we always get asked about retail. So we've done – rather than – we can't sell through retailers. We don't have the margins. But what we do do is we build collections. So we'll have – we're, we're doing collections at the moment for three or four retailers that have ordered sets of 10. So on a boat, on a bespoke collection, it kind of works for us, obviously, because they dictate the price that they sell it for, which means they've got a decent margin in it. And then we did, um, mm-hmm. we did two bespoke collections last year. We did um, one for a, a new comp- startup company called 1010 Labs in, um, in Dubai, and they sell to Saudi customers. Uh, we did a really nice collection for them, and then we did it for the Siddiqui Brothers um, Dubai Watch Week, and they launched. Yeah, they launched the collection. We've got about three or four on the go at the moment, and that's kind of what we do, and that's the only way we can do it. It's the only way that actually works for us. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, I mean, well, it's funny because um, Jorn, so uh, I'm I'm with Watchbox, and we're big believers in Jorn. We were before anybody else was, um, you know, collecting Jorns for before when when nobody else wanted them, but that was one of the criticisms from Jorn as well is that, uh, if you looked at it, you know their pricing structure was based off of a uh, an equation based on their cost of manufacture, as opposed to what most brands do is, you know, how much how much can yeah, we sell them for? Absolutely. What's the market? Yeah. yeah. And then you yeah. see, but you saw what happened with Jordan. Once people figured it out that the quality was far and above what those prices were at, that's when things started ramping yeah, up for them but you have to I understand mean, it as well josh it works in it, it, because a lot of these big brands they've got huge investors in the background they need those margins to pay investors back and stuff like that. And a lot of brands are under immense right. pressure as i say i've got friends who run swiss watch brands we were speaking about one earlier and they've got they've got investors breathing down their neck all the time and the one good thing about me and my brand is we don't have any investors breathing down their neck we've been offered so many times it has been tempting and, and I've, lit, I've said no every single time Listen, if I had an investor, I could have bought the machinery that I needed years ago. I could have done it on a totally different level and I'd have been more successful and we could have done things in half the time. Uh, but I, at least taking our time, I haven't got that added pressure. And that's the difference. That's the good thing for us as a brand. It's pressure that, that literally, that's when you start making mistakes. And as anyone will tell you, um, with watchmakers, watchmakers do not operate well under pressure. Uh, they do not. And when, you, when you're putting pressure on your watchmakers, at the end of the day, they're the people that can't behind the brand. They're the ones that are building your watches. So um, it's, it's a fine line, really, and it is. Well, it's funny. I've had that conversation. I have customers who, like, you know, the watch, they're purchasing a watch, and I said, hey, it needs to be serviced, so it's going to take however many weeks. And they go, well, can you – can you hurry them up? And I go, listen, you don't want me to hurry the guy up. No, it's fine. You know, right. it's, this, is not, this is not the person well, you want me to hurry. You know, the thing is, you know, no, nobody's perfect. Every brand will have returns. It's how you deal with your returns as well. And, and the point is, you know, you've yeah. got, we've, we've literally got one, we've had one watchmaker for years. That's it. Uh, my partner's a watchmaker, but he does a lot of the engineering and stuff and the prototyping. And we've had one watchmaker building all the watches. We've just taken the second one on. We've found somebody eventually after looking for a long time. Um, he starts on the 21st, so that's going to speed things up. But even when you get you know even when you're getting returns back it's how you deal with them and you customers don't want to be waiting ages and we send watches out sometimes listen uh, 
uh, it's about being honest when you're doing this kind of thing. And, and, and any brand that says they don't get returns, it, that's a lie. It, it doesn't matter. It's like driving a car out of the showroom. Cars get, cars get recalled. An engine can fail. Anything happens. It's the same as, as a, on a watch. It, it's, a, it's a complex mechanical device and, and things fail. It doesn't matter how much you test it, it happens. But it's how you deal with it. And even when we've had sent watches out and, and, and a, a fault's materialized i'm on the ball in an instant and i mean instantly that we there's a literally there's a courier arriving the same day if it, the next day at the very latest we ship it back we handle all the um charges absolutely everything we deal with it we get it tested we send it out as fast as we can after, but we do the testing's crucial uh, and we get it back out and that's why our customers are so happy it's how you deal with them and, I, and the thing is i deal with everything personally and we have a project management board i can see where all the projects are at any one time if a client gets in touch we send photographs as the when the watch is being assembled um, as you know yourself a video of it and all this kind of stuff and it's that personal touch that's what clients like you know but it's but when you've got a lot of clients on your back at the same time it is hard managing it all don't get me wrong well, yeah, I think, I mean, you're, you're setting the bar so high. I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't expect any of the things that used like the, uh, all the follow-up, the sending of the photos, all that stuff. I didn't expect that. I, and I would have been totally fine without it. It's a brand like that relies all, literally we rely so, totally on social media. It's that personal relationship with clients that matters because it's everything's word of mouth, everything. And everybody's spreading stuff on social media, spreading images. You've got to keep clients happy. Um, you know, and, and like I say, it's not about the money with us. It's about building relationships because that's how we've built our entire business. It's all on word of mouth. The same as you, you've put clients out where you're a happy client. Um, like I say, you're about to invest in a, in a £200,000 bespoke watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, let me just call my wife. I've used my a sales skills. Um, but no, no, joking apart, you know, that, that's how we built the business. So it matters. Um, you know, it's that customer service aspect. But, um, you know, this... It, it can it can put a lot of pressure on you because, like I say, I'm dealing with absolutely everything, and we've got staff and that you know and an admin that deal with things, but I just will not let them deal direct with clients. I just won't do it at all. Um, I'll be doing this till God knows when, really, um, till I give up the brand, whenever that might be. But I don't plan on doing it anytime soon. So that that gives me two questions. Number one, so you you I, I want to ask you what happens. When you retire, I want to ask you that. Before you answer that, where, where does the name Eric? I can't even imagine retiring. Well, that's good to hear. So, but before you answer that question, truthfully, I want I want to. Uh, where did the name Gary? So we wanted a, a, an English name for an English brand, and we we looked long and hard. And there's 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 some institutions in the in the UK in London. One, the Garrick Theatre, which is a world famous theatre, and and you've got the Garrick Club, which is an old gentleman's club, and that's where the name comes from. We just thought of that garrick it was nothing else than that the english name okay so hold on i just want to make sure because there might be some cultural differences when you say gentlemen no. <laughs> uh, yeah that's okay. different yeah. there's some there's yeah, some yeah, near yeah. me that so if you name yeah, it after a strip club i would actually london clubs that you see in the old victorian films yeah, yeah. they're, they're <laughs> okay. totally different uh, I'm sure you that would be true if you made that the official story that the name was the name of the brand is after a local strip club, I think you would even make more sense. It's good to be picked up on that, actually. Your <laughs> reputation has gone down the path. So, all right. 
So, so it was just creativity. Yeah, you just decided we need to give this name yeah, a brand. Just looking for a, a, a traditional English name, and that's why that's why Garrett came up. It was just it was nothing more than that. And um, you know, we could have done it under my partner's name, but frankly, there's nobody I know that can spell Mikkelmeyer. It's uh, like a Polish German name, <laughs> so uh, we didn't do that. I'm and then I've got the name Brelsford. That wouldn't have fitted on a dial, so. Uh, <laughs> We just thought that, but you know, back to the retirement thing. I can't see it anytime soon. I've worked all my life, and um, I, I honestly can't. I love doing this. I really do. And I, and I as, as we touched on earlier, I work as a consultant as well. I work with quite a lot of startup brands. Um, there's a few I'm working with at the moment, doing various projects, and and, and it just keeps me occupied. I absolutely love it. The thing is, it you know, it's it's the people you meet as well, and 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 you know, it's been such a good laugh. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it's it's not all been positive over the years. It's you know, it's depressing when you see all the brands that started at the same time as you making it big before you do. But like I say, it's all a lot of it's down to budget, and a lot of it's down to um, pandering to the press. That's another thing. And um, you know, I, I've got a, a group of friends that I've met in the press that have supported us for a long, long time, but I, I don't bother with it. Otherwise, I'm not into whining and dining and, and you know, free meals and all that kind of stuff and free watches. It doesn't sit well with me, Josh, at all. And it's uh, something right. I'll never do. Yeah. Well, especially, and, and that's one thing. So, like, you know, if, if you had started this company in, say, say two, uh, 2004 as opposed to 2014, like you would have no other option. You would have had to deal well, we with press we, we, that, That's what I did, but I hated it. I absolutely hated it, um, you know, and don't get me wrong, a lot of my friends are in the press, but, um, you know, I, I, I have to be careful what I say, obviously, but, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of arrogant people out there and I just did not want to deal with them. It's as simple as that. I'm, a, I'm just... Arrogant yeah, people in the watch world? I'm, I'm just a down-to-earth guy, as you can tell, um, same as you are. And, and I, I say it as it is, and, and I, you know, I, I'm me. It's as simple as that. You either like me or you don't. And, um, and I think it's the straight talking that clients like. And, and, and I don't like to, you know, I, I just can't go out and be false and, and just be something I'm not. So uh, it was difficult for me always. I just never felt comfortable doing it. So, uh, you know, we kind of built it up a lot on the social media channels more than we did anything else um you know built relationships with clients and that's back to what i was saying that's where it all came from really it's um you know but we've got we've had a, a, a we've had some of the bloggers and stuff that have supported us for years and years and years so it's kind of we have a little bit we do it a little bit different than everyone else we you know we don't do a lot of the big shows or anything we, we i've got the watchmakers club so we we do that and we tend to exhibit there if we're doing anything you know i've got a, a group of bloggers that have supported us for years and years i'll send a press release out to them but then i don't bother otherwise um you know it's uh, but we're in a we're in a good situation as well we've we've got a massive waiting list and um you know this yeah it's it's not bad at all so it kind of works for us but i mean i'll tell you how stupid the whole situation is literally it was only this year I actually managed to own a Garrett watch. <laughs> I could never get one because it we could never build any. So we could never build stock because we had a waiting list all the time. So we were building clients' watches before our own. And every time we managed, so we managed to build a, a, a bit of a collection and put it together last year. But then what happened is you get people coming along saying, oh, I've got a wedding. It's my brother's birthday or whatever can you sell me one of your demo watches and then so we've ended up with no watches again we've got no watches in cases apart from here at my place here um, in the main workshop we've got absolutely nothing just customers watches that are always um, half assembled and whatnot and um, but but i literally this was the first time ever i managed to get myself a watch 
and, and I had to be an S4, yeah, right. um, really. But it's, it's crazy, ridiculous, honestly. I'm often seeing, I'm not embarrassed to say, um, when I've done podcasts and things in the past, I've actually forgot that I haven't got one of my own watches on. <laughs> uh, and it can be anything. Um, I'll say it, it can be a hublot, it can be anything at all. Uh, whatever I've got on on, on the day. And I just forget sometimes, <laughs> hoping no one will ever pick up on it. Funny. So, well, so, so, so social media, I think, especially for small brands, and I talked to um, to Nick about this too, because he does have some yeah, retailers. Absolutely. And, you know, at, I mean, I work for a retailer. We have, uh, you know, our parent company is a retailer, many different brands. But looking at it as an entrepreneur, which, you know, I have a few other businesses outside the watch world that I run. You're I've always been entrepreneurial. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the next one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, gentlemen's club in Florida—they do pretty well, but yeah, you know, I don't own one yet. But, um, but looking at it from a business standpoint, right? So, against my own interest, I think that you know nowadays you need social media for your for your marketing, right? Because marketing and distribution were always the issue, right? So, you social media and the FedEx account—that's all you need now. You don't need to have dealers to, who are going to be discounting your brand or who maybe might have employees who don't know enough about your brand to represent you well, that's, directly. Well, that's I mean, the other thing. You hit the nail on the head there because I, I think sometimes you've got a lot of retailers who've got too many brands and the salesman's not necessarily interested in 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 nine of them and he might like you know the tenth one. It might be might prefer Rolex to anything else. He's not putting the effort. And that's you know I'm not saying that happens. You've got a lot of really good independent watch shops, as you know. But yeah, it does. Well, I know it does, but but not not for all of them. There's some really good independents and they do support all the brands that they've got in their in their retail outlet. But but a lot of them know the salesmen are just into specific brands and and it's about profit margins and everything else. So it's it's never interested us. And anyway, we can never mass produce. It's something we're never going to be able to do. We're using traditional lace for God sake it's uh, you know you come around our place some of our lathes are 70 80 years old um you know the, the houses are 40 years old the the jig borers which we used to making a lot of the stuff bridges and, and numerous things honestly they're 40 years old they're as good as they ever were really um our main house was down recently had an oil leak it was like the world had come to an end <laughs> it's serious these are your babies. Well, they're, machines. They're, honestly, they're, they're, they're just fantastic. They're what every watchmaker learns of. So, uh, you know, my partner, Simon, uh, and our watchmaker, they trained on these 30 years ago uh, in Switzerland, and um, and they're still as good as they ever were, really. And, 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 and you'll find that most watchmakers, most independents nowadays, have all still got that. My mate, Andreas, who, who's literally got, got a, an amazing machine shop, loads of CNC machines, wire cutters and everything, he still uses, he's got a section with the, with jig borers and whatnot in, and uh, he still uses them to this day, uh, always. So they're, they're in use all the time, honestly. They're damn good machines. Well, it took us eight years tremendous. to find so, our Rose engine to turn the dials, uh, to do the the engine turning. We And we actually managed, to, we bought it in from America, believe it or not. Couldn't find one over here. Yeah, we imported it from the States. Interesting. Well, I think I read somewhere that a lot of the watchmaking um, uh, machinery at one point was all manufactured in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, there was there was a period in time. Yeah, where... absolutely. There's, there's, there's nothing British really. Um, you know, a lot of it's German and Switzerland. Most of it comes from. But you're right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Britain used to have a, a, a fantastic watchmaking heritage um, dating back centuries. Obviously, you know, and, and even recently, Daniels, of course, uh, which not him earlier when was having a right. chat, but it's. Um, so that's that's something else I wanted to talk to you about. So you know, obviously you're you're a proud, you're you're a proud Indeed, Brit, yes. right? So you're this is yeah. 
And, and I mean, you're you're, you're representing British watchmaking. But it's got a lot of negatives. And not, most, you know, commonly the weather, it's not too good. <laughs> yeah. it's just, wow. You know, right. Well, right now there's some there's a some crazy weather in the United States. I, I live in Devon. I told you earlier, and um, it just never stops raining. I've got beaches everywhere around me, and it literally never stops raining. It's cloudy and rain. I know it's not good, um, but but no, I am a proud Brit. Yes, you're right there. So, and, and you know, uh, a lot of collectors don't realize that there is a lot of heritage in in British watchmaking. Uh, going back centuries, but then, you know, uh, George Daniels, extremely interesting character. Like if you're a people person like I am, and I know you are, you know, understanding that there, and what's so great about him is that very eccentric character. And there's a lot of interviews online uh, uh, of, of, of his online. So you can learn about him, but you know, he's in my opinion, and I'd like to hear what you think about this, but I believe he's the, he's the father of absolutely. modern. And, and, yeah, absolutely. And but you could also argue Jean as well. And you touched on him earlier. That's, um, you know, without a doubt, but yeah, Daniels, and, and there's not a watchmaker I know that doesn't have a George Daniels watchmaking book in their collection because he tells you how to do everything, how right. to engine turn, how to make hands, how to glue, steel, the whole lot. It's, it, he was the guy that actually sat down and put it into into a book, and it's crazy. And a friend of mine, Michael Clarissa, who's a, who's a good friend, he used to be um, editor at the Wall Street Journal on he, he wrote the autobiography for Daniel. So he, I've actually often spoke to him when I've met him about Daniels and he, some of the behind the scenes stories he's told me about him as a character. And um, he was never he was never interested in money or anything else. He, I mean, he, he, he had a lot of money and, and his estate was worth a lot when he died. He had a big classic car collection and whatnot, but it was money never really interested right. him. He was obsessed with Breguet. And, um, you know, who is it? Yeah, right. And, 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 and everything he did was kind of based around that, that their, their method of watchmaking. And he, he was an interesting character. And, you know, we in the past in, in Britain, you had Harrison, obviously, and um, Mudge and, 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 you know, and, and along we had a, a brand over here called Smith's, which was going until the 70s, which was huge, um, you know, and Fears. Uh, who industrialized watchmaking, but then it kind of collapsed in the 70s and then the 80s and the quartz crisis and everything, and that's it, just died. So now you've got a, quite a few independent English brands that are starting up, not necessarily doing stuff in-house, but it doesn't matter. That, you know, it's generated a bit of an interest again. But, you know, it, 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 sure. it, people get obsessed with where your watch is coming from, but frankly, it doesn't matter for me whether it's British, American, or whatever. I buy a watch because I like it. I'm sure you do. Um you know oh yeah but i like the heritage of it too like i like so it's you know especially if you're if you're just getting into it you know having the story i think is important and having some heritage yeah, course, i think yeah. is important and and people people write that off are, are you do you have a relationship with no, Roger Smith really, at all? No, no. all right so i and i mean because you know that that that's an interesting part of his story too he was the the um apprentice for for daniels but you know looking looking at uh, Daniel specifically, and then looking across the board now to all these these up and coming, you know, uh, um, uh, independent watch brands, and you know, thinking, all right, well, Switzerland, Switzerland, Switzerland. It's like, no, really, it was a lot. This this idea of creating these small, well, we, going back know, years, uh, even when I started, you have you have brands like Schofield, um, Giles Hudson, all those guys, you know, doing crazy designs, um, something completely out of the ordinary, and um, and then you got Pierce Opinion. Uh, who's a designer by trade, he's some nice looking watches. And, um, you know, we, yeah, we were churning out some interesting independent brands going back the last 10 years in, in, from the UK, all doing it different to everybody else. And this is why, 
you can't be an independent right. brands, Josh. And I've said this a million times. This is what the Watchmakers Club's all about, independent brands. And because they don't follow the norm. It doesn't matter whether it's a, an independent brand selling a watch at 500, 100 or whatever. They always do something different. So you go to Basel World every year. Not, not anymore, obviously. It's finished, of course. But, it, you know, that's because it was run by a group of dinosaurs, which, again, we touched on earlier and uh, in, our, in our own conversation. But the, you used to go to Basel World every year without fail. One year it was tourbillons and it was GMTs and whatever. It was the same thing from every brand. But independence never. Yeah. Blue dials, yeah. green dials, yeah, well, chronograph. Independent brands do it totally different. They just do some there's some outlandish stuff. Yeah, exactly. But Well, I got my Tiffany dial before it before it became point, a thing. Actually, yeah. You could yeah, you could actually call that Tiffany blue. <laughs> Make it yeah, it's close. It needs well, a little when you look at it, but it's around like yeah. some of the hype around these larger brands and things and talking of Tiffany blue dials, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just absolutely crazy. Um Realistic, and you look at anything independents have been doing, they've done this a long time ago, um, and that's why you've got we've got so many collectors that just collect independents, or they contact me and say, I've stopped buying them from the larger brands now, it doesn't interest me anymore. I just want to collect independents because they've been introduced to them, and then they understand that they're all doing something unique. And it's a never ending, it's like a vicious circle collecting with independents because there's always a new one pops up. And you can you can't stop buying. But yeah. the point, the interesting thing about independence is the price bracket. You get into independence, it's not just about buying high-end watches. And and frankly, I've got watches in my collection at a hundred pounds and going all the way up to a hundred grand. Um, you know, that's a fact. It should be about what you like. It shouldn't be about the name necessary that's on your wrist. Oh yeah. Well, so I mean, I had this conversation with somebody recently who who's a Rolex collector, and I showed him my watch, and I told him all about how it's made, and he goes, "Oh, I don't even want to know what that's what that cost I know, exactly. you." <laughs> I think you, you know what. By the end exactly. of this conversation, it, it, I think uh, you persuade him. I'm gonna have to put my prices up. <laughs> no, wait. Let me order my regulator first, please. <laughs> but it's you know it's it, it feels like it's almost getting away with something when when purchasing from you. But you know the one thing I like, and and I so from my side, right, the sales side of it. You know, I've been doing this for almost a decade now, and and I'm definitely seeing more people looking for for independence and small uh, companies. And I think it's not only is it you do you really get um, something different, but you're also you know you know you're funding Absolutely. the watchmaker, right? So like when I'm buying from you, I'm yeah. the money's going to you. It's not going to your investors or somebody else or whatever. So that's one thing also. So I'm supporting you personally. And then the other thing is it's real rarity, right? So a Rolex Daytona. Okay, that that goes for four times the, the original and list price, right? It, and they say, "Oh, these are so rare." And you've got to wait years What's that? for it. <laughs> well, or yeah, that's that's if you don't want to pay the the four x price. And and when you say wait wait years, a lot of times it means wait for an infinity amount of time because if you if you listen, I I made a podcast called the the truth about waiting lists. Uh, you can listen to that one and know that all about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what it is exactly. But if you're listening to this now, as uh, some of our listeners, if, if you know, you can listen to that podcast and you know that a lot of times a waiting list is just a way to get somebody out of the door and say, oh, yeah. So they don't have to tell you no. Um, but, you know, real rarity, I mean, a Daytona, which is a rare watch, quote unquote, you know, th there's more Daytonas made every month than probably any Garrick has ever In my like, put together. Absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Like that. That's a fact. But, that, but that's the. 
that's the beauty of doing something that, you know, the, the thing is about our watch as well, they're unique, like I say, every single watch. We never build two the same ever. Because even if you consider it, even if you're building a set of hands and you heat blue in a set of hands, it's never the same as the last set that you did, ever. We don't blue 10 at any right. one time. We don't chemically blue them. We heat blue them on a bed of filings. That's what we do. Or we use a heat plate. And so, so you always get a touch of purple in them. Yeah, they're heat blue hands. Um, they're also lined up. Just, yeah, and just don't you think, actually, to... touching on something there because of the crown and whatnot, don't you get satisfaction out of winding a watch? You see, we use manual wind movements, and everybody says, oh, why don't you do an auto? It doesn't interest me. I think if you're, I think collectors will tell you this. There's nothing better than fiddling around with the crown on a watch and winding it and feeling that clip, uh, really, because it means you're interacting with the watch. You put an auto on, and you just forget about it on your wrist, and you don't do that. I agree with you 100%. I, I, it's funny because I do know a lot of guys who buy watches. They like watches, but they don't love, they don't care about them yeah. from a mechanical standpoint. It's more about collecting or status or whatnot, which is fine. You can do, you can collect whatever you want. But I, my very first Swiss watch I ever bought was a Panerai. It was a manual wine watch. It was a manual wine um, radiomere. And ever since then, I've always, like, I have some automatics, yeah, like my, my Moser yeah. here is an automatic. But if it was a manual, I would have, I would like it better. I, I prefer a manual wine watch for that exact reason. Yeah. I like to interact with the machine. You know, if, if it's made by hand, it's made by made by another human being. I want to have that human interaction Absolutely. with the watch. But you know, I mean, I listen. With going back to the Rolex thing, it's uh, you know, a lot of people are obsessed with Rolex, of course. And and listen, the cracking watches anyway. I've got a Rolex in my collection. I've got, but it's an early one. It's a vintage GMT Master, uh, nineteen sixty eight, with a plexiglass. I absolutely love that watch uh, with a Pepsi dial. I just think it's iconic, and I absolutely love it. But the point is, you know, I've got most of my collection is independence and um, I get more satisfaction out of wearing one. And you hit the nail on the head earlier, actually. When, with a brand like us, you're kind of funding our development, realistically. And that's why customers are so important to us, really. And, you know, because literally they fund everything that we do. You know, bearing in mind, we ain't making massive profits. We haven't got, like I say, I've said it numerous times, we haven't got big investors. We plough it all back in and, and that's the thing. We, we set ourselves goals and we always do that and then we... You know, we, when we first started the company, say, right, we want we want a Garrett color, but in, in the next four to five years, we managed to get it on the S2 in the next four years. So we, we achieved that goal. Then we set, we want in the next five years, we want to do a, a, a 39 mil watch. Um, so we're releasing the S5. But it takes time and it takes a lot of money um, and a lot of development and a lot of patience. So that's the difference. I mean, it's ridiculous if you think about it. A lot of brands have goals and they set them within six months. <laughs> So uh, literally, my beard's down to the floor uh, by the time I reach our goal. Definitely long toenails, uh, long hair. <laughs> Can't even go to barbers. So that's that's a great uh, segue into my, I guess, my last question because we're we're over an hour okay. now, and we like to try to keep these around that. Um, and that is, you know, what's what's the future, Garrett? Do you have an idea of is there a is there a mask? a max quantity that you'd want to be able to manufacture per oh, year? Is that how you set your goal? Range, yeah, like what's, we're doing a collection for a retailer at the moment in, um, I met this quick in, in, in Hong Kong. Um, they, they wanted to stock our watch. Like I said, we can't do that. We don't have the money. So uh, they've, they've commissioned a collection. And, and, and I had exactly, she asked me the same question. She said, look, you must have goals. What are your goals? You must want to get bigger. And I said, we don't want to get bigger. I'm happy as we are. I want to employ two or three more watchmakers, of course. Um, that's not an easy task in itself because they need engineering skills and they need to know how to operate the lathes and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so 
I'd like to increase production, but I never change the way we do it. We'll never be mass producing. We'll never be going to a, uh, buying, uh, you know, 50 dials from somebody, 100 dials or, 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 or 1,000 cases, 100 cases. We'll never be doing any of that stuff. Um, I, I just want to, yeah, increase production to take the pressure off. Uh, and, of course, I want it to work as a business model. Um, but no, the, everything will stay the same. We'll still be doing it exactly as we are now. She couldn't understand that. She found it absolutely crazy, um, and, and really did like gobsmacked. And, <laughs> but uh, but that's the truth. And and and, yeah. and because everything takes so long, I don't kind of think too far ahead, believe it or not, because it always takes so much time. So what's the point in thinking, you know, ten years ahead? Um, we. We, we take it as it comes and uh, we're just improving things. Like I say, we build watches to the best of our ability. We want to improve certain aspects um, and we want to get up to a pinnacle high-end watch, but, um, you know, that's the pinnacle in the collection. But as it stands at the moment, we're, we're, we're in a good place and, and we're happy. Our clients are happy. So um, that's as it is. Well, you got one Indeed. happy client of me and, and yeah, we'll, we'll decide uh, – what the next watch is, I'm pretty sure it's going to end up being the regulator. Uh, just got to figure out when when we're going to pull the trigger on that one. Well, yeah, probably sooner than later. However long it takes, but you know, I, I gotta, I gotta place the order, but um, well, this has been fantastic. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time with me. This is uh, a, a oh. great thrill for me, you know, uh, being able to talk to you again and, and, and kind of broadcast your message out here, because I think, you know, I, I truly believe Absolutely. in the brand. Obviously, I put my money into it. You know, and 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 I've been sending people to you because I think that it's it's well deserved. I mean, one of the problems these days, especially with as much demand that that has been flooding in to the watch world, I don't know if, how much you've been paying attention to it, but I, we have it basically pinpointed to about 2017 is where where this madness kind of started, and um, you know, that's that's really. Since then, it's been it's been crazy, and a lot of people are trying to capitalize on that hype. So sometimes it's it's hard to tell. You know, there's a lot of watch brands that are making watches in your price Absolutely. range, right? and a lot, and that's sometimes how people can tell quality, right? Like, you know, that's one way for consumers to tell quality. And and I, and when I'm talking to them, I go, listen, this is an outlier here. You know, the quality Absolutely. far and exceeds the price. Yeah. So yeah. if you're looking to spend, yeah, if you're looking to spend price, this kind of money, it's crazy, really. And I agree. So watches, um, you know, works for. Yeah, but and and unfortunately, if you go to your, if you go to your Instagram, it's hard to tell that. You know, I like I I just I because I've seen those. I remember seeing your watches before. And I just assume it must be a twenty five, thirty five, forty thousand thousand dollar watch. Like there's there's so many there, there's so many uh, brands. Well, so you know what? There's one question I asked Nick from Fears yeah. that I wanted to ask you as well, right? So and I, and I don't know. if if this even concerns you, if you've even put any thought into it. Um, but so with the world of flipping watches these days, right? So say, for example, I have this, I have my Norfolk, right? And, and after this, after this podcast is, uh, is published, then demand explodes. And now this watch is worth $50,000 and you saw it the next day posted for $50,000. What, how do you feel about that? Is there a way to, to handle these things? You have long waiting lists and then people get watches and immediately throw it up for, for triple what they paid. Like, how do you handle that? Do you care about that I, I, stuff? I don't, I don't what do you? What do you? And um, because it's your watch, you can do whatever you like with it. Um, I, I, and but the reason I never thought of it, and I don't care, is literally because we don't see our watches for sale. So it's something I've never had to think about uh, ever. And I, I like to say one Norfolk in how many years? Um, that's the only watch that I know of. So 
you know, maybe it would bug me, but I don't think it would, frankly. Uh, you can't control it, Josh, can you? It, it, is, it is what it is. I mean, you can only dream that your watches are going to sell for that, but it wouldn't affect us because we can't build enough. So we couldn't even churn any out and hope to capitalise on it. It just wouldn't work for us. Um, you know, we're doing everything in small numbers. That will never change. It's it's as simple as that. And, uh, you know, it's like you with that watch. You absolutely love it. You sent me God knows how many pictures and, and tagged me in numerous times. Um, are you likely to sell that? No, you're probably not. You love it and you're going to wear it. Um, and that's the way you've got to look at it. I, it. It's about a relationship. It's like, as you quickly, it's, it's as you said earlier, you build a relationship with the person behind the brand and um, you feel connected to them. You, you, you probably feel guilty if you want, if you went to sell it. I don't know. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, though, if I could sell for 50,000, no, I would certainly think about it. But, you know, I've. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, but I mean, I, don't, I doubt it would ever be a $50,000 watch. But even still, like, you know, I've. And I have a lot, I have a collection. I do, I, I have moved a lot of watches through my collection. Rolex can never stay in there because they're so liquid. So that's one of the downsides of the liquidity that's entered into this market is that if I get an inkling to sell, it becomes yeah. so easy now to no, do no, so. No. Whereas five, five, 10 years ago, it was the opposite where there was no liquidity. So if you wanted you to sell a watch, you might sit on it for a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, or if you wanted to sell it immediately, you're going to take such a massive hit on this watch that it's going to it's going to ruin your you know your day. So you don't even want to go down that route. So you know that's one of the downsides of of the of all this I mean, all you know, amazing demand that's come in. People actually think that. Unfortunately, we haven't got any to sell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, I could literally sell out straight away if we did, but uh, it's a difficult situation. But like I say, I don't need to think about such things. Um, you know, and. and uh, I don't think we're in a good position and we've always had a waiting list. So, um, you know, it's like I say, we don't churn out loads of watches. We don't make millions, but, um, you know, we've got a lot of happy customers out there and that's all that matters to me. Nothing else, frankly. Well, it's great to hear, you know, it's not, it's again, it's not, that's not really the norm in the whole watch world. I hope it does become that way. Hopefully Maybe, you're, but you're there's a lot of independents that feel the same. We've just got to see come out and it's a fact, you know, you've got passionate people behind these brands and it's always worth bearing that in mind. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, again, it was, it was tremendous. I appreciate you staying up late and uh, skipping the oh, pub. And, uh, 10, so. I'll be, I'll be putting a Netflix on or something in a minute. And oh, open a beer. oh, nice. Well, hopefully you have an, a fantastic evening. If, if people want to get in touch with you, they want to, they want to have a conversation. They yeah, want to well, watch, they can contact they me. My, my details are on the website. So if, if whoever emails from the website, they get up straight away. I'll reply. I always do. Um, and then my mobile numbers on the, on my email yeah always and then people contact me on whatsapp um, it's the best way to share images and whatnot so uh, you know that, i'm always there uh, day and night don't worry <laughs> all right well fantastic i appreciate it again and guys if you're listening to it we're an hour and 15 minutes in so if you're listening this deep in you're a champion we love you and uh make sure to subscribe we'll have to do it again there's a lot What's to that? talk about oh yeah no we have a same I, I feel the same way uh, as I felt when I was talking to Nick from Fears, it was, you know, there's there's a lot more to talk about. So we'll do part two and part three. Maybe you'll come and visit and we'll uh, we'll sit, sit out on a, on a back porch and look me. at the ocean and have a conversation. <laughs> I'd do anything to get some of that. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, there's plenty of that here. So uh, 
Guys, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Tim's interview with uh, with David is uh, uh, much more information packed. So if you want to hear more about the watches themselves, because we kind of talked about more of the experience, you know, go, go listen to Tim's podcast. And uh, otherwise, thanks for listening and talk to you. And uh, see you next time. All right.